This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Welcome, everybody, to the Hammer and Rails podcast. With you, as always, I'm your host, Andrew Ledman. And I am Ryan Bonaparte and sad. Yes, I am also sad. Uh, We're coming to you after two defeats at the hands of IU over the last two days. Uh, Purdue men lose and Purdue women lose. Uh, The women lost today, uh, recording this on Sunday, February 5th. So we're going to talk about both of those games. But since this is going to be a rather sad podcast... Uh, I wanted to do a little levity at the top, so I've got a question for you, Ryan. Are you ready? Yep. Okay. It's a two-part question because uh, the first one might not apply, so I've got a pivot question in, just in case. Um, okay. So uh, Casey and I were, were big fans and still are big fans of Coke Zero uh, here on the pod. Uh, so Coke, if you're listening, we'd love a sponsorship. But uh, what is your favorite carbonated beverage that is not alcohol so you, you know your your coke your pepsi uh what what's your favorite pop my answer bounces around between two and it changes almost weekly well it changes every time i have it because i don't have pop like ever um my answers are sprite oh and dr pepper okay i'll agree with dr pepper but man sprite that's uh that's a choice that lemon lime flavor so much better than Sierra Mist. Oh, Sierra Mist, by the way, doesn't exist anymore. Did you know that? Oh, wait. it's Yeah, it got a new name, didn't it? Well, it's a whole new drink. Uh, it's oh. called Starry. Starry. I, okay. I walked through my local grocery store like two weeks ago, and I saw just this like big display of this thing called Starry, and I thought it was just like some knockoff like store brand, and I just walked by it. And then I saw a commercial for it during a basketball game or something, and was like... Oh, that's what that is. Um, okay. And they were giving away free samples like a week later, and I tried it. Uh, it's okay. It's better than Sierra Mist, which is, was trash, uh, but it's not as good as 7-Up or Sprite. Okay. Um, is it – see, I've seen – I saw a billboard for it, I think, on my way to work one day. Because, you know, living in the South, you're never not going to find, you know, soft drinks right. uh, billboards. And, like, I thought it was supposed to be, like, their attempt to replicate Mountain Dew. Oh, no. But that doesn't make sense now that I think about it because Pepsi, Pepsi has is Mountain, Mountain Dew. Pepsi is Mountain Dew, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's so, it's I supposed to replace Sierra Mist, but it's still mm-hmm. no 7-Upper Sprite. So, yeah. um, if I had to go, I mean, obviously, as I said, Big Coke Zero fans, if I have to go one off the board uh, that you probably, most people don't know and wouldn't expect... I would go Fago Rock and Rye. It is a red cream soda, and mm, it is okay. absolutely delicious. I cannot do anything, any soda with the word cream in it. Mm-mm. Why? It just tastes wrong to me. Uh, okay. Okay, it's like the people who put milk in their Coke. What? That's a thing, yeah. People will combine milk and Coke, and it's a big southern thing. That sounds awful. It's like cream soda. No, it's not. The fruity. That's their that's their reasoning. That is but insane. I'm with you that that is absolutely nope. Did did you see um, what Tom Hanks did uh, the other day? He talked about it on the the Colbert's show, uh, Late Night. I think I've seen this before. It was it was part Diet Coke and part champagne. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and uh, Colbert had it and actually said it was pretty good and. Uh, one of my podcasts I listened to, the the host tried it like live during a recording, mm-hmm. and was like, "This is actually pretty good." Uh, <laughs> they, he called it a diet. The, Tom Hanks called it a diet cocaine because mm-hmm. you know coke yeah. and champagne. But that was uh, I don't know I don't know if I'll be trying that one anytime soon. So definitely a choice. Yeah, yeah, a, a choice for sure. 
Um, so the second part of the question, which I guess isn't as relevant since you, you did answer the first one, you know, you never know if anybody's, uh, if anybody's going to be a pop drinker. So I, l- I wanted to have a pivot, uh, but I'll ask it anyway. Uh-huh. Um, you're going to the grocery store. There's, you know, you're in the line to check out someone in front of you is being really slow. So of course you're standing there looking at the candy. What candy are you grabbing? Ooh, I'm grabbing a Twix bar. Okay. Yeah. Solid That's- choice. Yeah, that's the go-to, like, king-size candy bar for me that, you know, you'll see at a grocery store. Um, I think that that or a payday. Oh, see, I can't can't get behind the payday. Uh, I don't really love peanuts, uh, especially when it's it's like it's all peanuts (laughs) all the time in a payday. Fair, yeah. And it's my dad's fault. He instilled that one on me. Ah, gotcha. But yeah. My first choice again is Twix. Good, good and choice. Left or right doesn't matter. <laughs> well, how very centrist of you. Uh, they the grocery store I shop at that's down the road. You know, just like every grocery store, they have this random like clearance rack, which is just a bunch of gobbledygook. Like who knows what's going to be on there any given day. <laughs> the other day they had just an open box of Twix candy bars. And each each package was like thirty seven cents. All right. And I was like, I will be taking one of these with me uh, to go home. And it was a delightful little snack. So, uh, good choice, good choice. For me, I think if if I'm going with ones that are just you know always at the checkout, mm-hmm. I may go Skittles. Okay. Uh, Skittles is is just the top notch candy in my opinion. And then if I'm going for something chocolate. Uh, there's a, there's just so many good chocolate candies, um, mm. you know maybe maybe I'll go uh, unexpected. Maybe I'll go Three Musketeers. I think that's an okay. underrated candy bar. If there's a hundred grand that's full size, that's what I'm going with. <laughs> but okay. you you don't often find the hundred grand just like hanging out at most grocery stores. Yeah, sometimes specialty. Yeah, but that okay. that's that's to me probably the number one underrated candy. Uh, I love love going trick-or-treating with my son when people have those i'm like yes get a bunch of those uh big dude Mm because i'm gonna be eating those there you go yeah so can we take a second to realize how much of a ripoff getting two peanut butter cups is for like the size for the price of a full-size candy bar yeah it's it's a bit of a screw job for sure but reese's knows they can do that because they're so popular yeah when you have will arnett doing your commercials (laughs) that's right yeah good yeah (laughs) But everybody knows, everybody knows that these special holiday Reese's are much better. Oh, superior. Absolutely. I don't know what it is. I don't know if they're just fresher. I don't know if it's the ratio to peanut butter to chocolate because uh, there does seem to be much more peanut butter uh, in the holiday ones. But, you know, you can't beat, you can't beat a holiday Reese's. Um, and I – this is because this is a combined here. In, in past years, Pepsi has done a – peeps flavored uh pepsi like a peeps flavored uh soda but it's only been like you could only order it online or you had to like win it in a contest but apparently this year they're actually putting it out at certain i think walmart and target stores so as someone who loves peeps i know that's a divisive opinion Uh, i'm really looking forward to trying that i cannot stand the only nice thing about peeps is putting them in your microwave and you get a show <laughs> yeah you that do the only thing i nope, you know i hate peeps i get i'm in the minority opinion i get it but i'll defend peeps till the day i die i think they're okay. delicious i think they're delicious <laughs> but you know everybody's got to take their l's sometimes and that leads us right into this weekend ryan oh boy mm-hmm. um So let's start with the women. Um, I was only Mm -hmm. able to watch a little bit of the game. I followed most of it on uh, GameCast. Ryan, I know you watched more than I did. Can you tell me what happened uh, in the first half when the game was actually a little bit close? Yeah, so the IU women's team came out pretty strong. I believe they got out to a 7-0 start. Yeah, I believe so. And it looked a little bleak at that point, but then steadily the shots started coming for Purdue's team. Um, Abby Ellis was, uh, scoring a lot early, um, and they were starting to finally lock down the IU shooters who I believe their, their best player didn't get a shot off until sometime in the second quarter. So 
that's effective if yeah. your best player doesn't shoot the ball. So they went into halftime down by five. They had the lead at certain points in the second quarter as well. So it was a pretty tight game. And then the wheels fell off. Yeah. And, and for third for, quarter. For those that don't follow women's basketball, um, IU is very good. They're currently ranked fourth. Yes. They're 22 and one after this game. And they really, I mean, they have turned that program around over the last mm-hmm. probably six, seven years, if not more. But. Uh, I mean, they have just really become one of the top teams, not just in the Big Ten, but in the country, and it's one hell of a turnaround. Yeah, and found out today that their head coach is a Purdue grad. Yep, that is correct. That is correct. So, And she, after the game, actually gave big praise to Katie Gerald so about you know how she could be the next person to turn around a program in Indiana like that. However... Before then, there, there was still a game to be finished. And yeah. as I alluded to, the wheels just fell off in the third oh, quarter. Oh, the, the third quarter Indiana, was a nightmare. Yeah. Indiana outscored Purdue 19-2 to in the quarter. Yeah. So, not great. The game was over after that. I mean, ab- exactly. absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you, you go into halftime, you're only down five, and mm-hmm. then you get outscored by 17 in the third quarter. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I mean, just push the lead to 22. Ultimately, Purdue lost 69 to 46. Could, you know, the fourth quarter they they came back. They only uh, they were outscored 19 to 18 in the fourth. But so you're, that looks respectable. But man, that third quarter, the the wheels, as you said, just completely fell off. Uh, just an absolute mm-hmm. nightmare uh, for Purdue. Couldn't hit anything in that third quarter. Right. Yeah, and this was the only the third time they've ever sold out Mackey for a women's game. And kudos to you know the students, the paint crew for getting there and showing up for a team that's honestly on the rise in this Purdue women's team. Um, yeah, Gabby mentioned it earlier in a past uh, podcast, but they are they're making headway to get up to a consistently good program, which is all you can ask for. Yeah. Yeah, and especially as we we said on that podcast as well, especially given the depths that they fell to um, in the Mm -hmm. last years of the Sharon Versip era, you know, just completely fell off. So uh, very unfortunate that that happened to the program, but I do do hope Katie Geralds is the person to lead us back. So uh, we'll keep an eye on the women as they move forward. But obviously right now we've got to talk about uh, the sadness that was losing to IU. (laughs) Um, You know, it's just... It's never a good feeling losing any game, uh, but right. losing to IU is particularly bad. Um, losing to IU when you're ranked number one, it's you know it's worse. It's bad on top of worse on top of awful. You know mm. you're just you're making a pile out of just awfulness. So right. IU beats Purdue seventy nine to seventy four, um, and it was the first half that doomed Purdue without a doubt. The start of the game exactly. Uh, the start of the game, just IU came out on fire. They came out ready to play. The crowd was behind them. And I don't know if it was Purdue wasn't prepared or the environment took them out of it. You know, we are starting two freshman guards. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Purdue just could not get anything going to start the game. Um, I mean, Ryan, you wrote the game wrap for us. What exactly happened in that first half? Yeah, it's, they looked rattled. So the game for the first you know, five minutes or so until the first media timeout, it was pretty close. I think it was 10 to 11 at the end of the, or at the first media timeout. So they came out and it sort of looked like it was just going to be a boxing match between Trace Jackson Davis and Zahidi. It ultimately pretty much was, but I think the very first time that Purdue got a foul called on Zach Eady, it changed the complexion of the whole game. It was an offensive foul called on Zach Eady against Trace Jackson Davis. You knew instantly that this was going to be that kind of game. So it just seemed to rattle everyone and just the crowd. All credit goes to Indiana and their fans for bringing you know a crowd to the game that Came out in numbers and was loud. Now, it pushed a little bit past loud later on, but I digress. Um, So, you saw it in Fletcher Lawyer. You saw it in Braden Smith. 
And you saw it in everybody except Zach Eady. They just played timid. So there were points where Mason Gillis was wide open for a dunk. He was under the basket. He dribbles again and travels. Yep. Because you fear Trace Jackson Davis blocking him. He's probably the best blocking forward in the Big Ten. You know, no, no two ways around it. So everyone seemed to play timid and just there was a 10-0 run for Iowa, 10-0 run for Indiana, and just it spiraled. Zach Eady got a second foul. Trey Kaufman-Wren came in. Mm-hmm. Trey Kaufman-Wren could not hold his own against Trace Jackson Davis. No, no. He was just getting bullied in the paint, and it just kept spiraling. Purdue kept turning the ball over, which led up to easy, fast-break points. For and at halftime, it was a 15-point deficit. And the place was roaring. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, everything that could have gone wrong in that first half did go wrong for Purdue. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was it was exactly what we talked about that we were afraid of, that IU would come out hot, that the, the crowd would get behind them, that Purdue would be timid or scared, and that they wouldn't be able to recover. Um, you know, as much as we hate IU, as much as we're rooting against them every single time, we'd be unfair and we'd be idiotic to not point out that they have talent and that Assembly Hall is a tough place to play. I don't think anyone denies them that. Even when IU is bad, it's a tough place to play. Um, for Purdue, I should say. You know, It's different when other <laughs> folks come to town, but for Purdue, it's a rivalry game. The, the energy in that building when Purdue comes in is nothing but anger. Um, and in that first half, Purdue was missing free throws. Purdue was turning the ball over. Purdue was timid about taking shots. You pointed out the Mason Gillis one, um, but especially on the perimeter too. I mean, guys yeah. were, were trying to be unselfish, I think, which is the way the offense runs. But <laughs> at a certain point, somebody's got to take the shot. Um, I thought that was particularly evident with Braden Smith. Um, mm-hmm. granted, I mean, he took a lot of shots. He was one for eight, a uh, very unfortunate offensive game for him. Um, but there, there were times, especially in the second half where he really did have an open look from three and he just failed to take it, made that one extra pass, which sometimes works out for you. You know, he wound up with six assists, but right when, when you have a defense like IU who is very fast, they're very quick to rotate you have to take the shot when you have it because you're not always going to get a better one. Sometimes you have to settle for a good shot because you're not going to get a great shot. Right. Yeah, and speaking of the defensive rotations, that's another thing Purdue struggled mightily with in this game. They would double. Anytime Trace Jackson Davis got the ball, they would double. Now, normally when Purdue doubles, they're pretty good at rotating and making sure that there's not an open person in the corner shooting a three. That happened multiple times. It was, I think, Miller Cop twice. Yeah, Miller Cop, I know for sure. Trey Galloway. Yeah, Galloway was yeah, the other. Yeah, I think Trey Galloway got one as two. Yep. So three different made threes from that, and just they couldn't rotate effectively, and it led to a lot of easy baskets for Indiana, yeah. who I think shot 65%. Um, at the end of the game, that's not great. Uh, no. Or not end of the game, six, end of the half, sorry. Okay, okay. Yeah. So they were shooting 65% from the floor at halftime. Yeah. So it was the best offensive half for Indiana combined with the worst half for Purdue. Yeah. And it looked like an insurmountable lead. Yeah, it really did. And... You know, as you said, 50-35 to 35 was the score at halftime. Purdue down 15. And that 35 points for Purdue, not really that bad uh, when you look at what they've done throughout the season. You know, there are games where Purdue hasn't broken 70, so when you get 35 at halftime, right. you're like, okay, you know, that's, that's not terrible. Um, mm-hmm. But Purdue has not allowed anyone to score more than 70 points uh, up until this game. Uh, they'd allowed 70 to Marquette. They'd allowed 70 to Minnesota um, when when they won 89 to 70. Um, but even in their loss to Rutgers, they only allowed 65. And so, you know, they they allowed 70 to Michigan, 
But again, no one had scored more than 70 uh, against this Purdue team. And then to allow 50 in the first half, you just, you wondered if IU was going to put up 100. So, yeah. uh, spirits were down, let me tell you, as... As the yes. guy who, as the guy who um, tweets for the site, though men, the mentions were not good. They were not fun. Nope. And not only was it IU fans popping into to jaw, you know, it was Purdue fans who, despite Purdue being the number one ranked team in the country, and up at that point we were twenty two and one. A lot of oh, Matt Painter getting out coached again. He never comes up in a big game. Blah blah. blah. It's like shut up. We are 22 and 1. We're the unanimous number 1 team in the country. We're going into our rivals arena. They are ranked to play them. It is going to be a tough game. You are not going to win every game. You are not going to waltz to a victory every single game. Take it a step back is what I want to say to those people. Yeah. And I don't know the exact numbers, but I want to say that Trace Jackson Davis had like 18 going into halftime. Somewhere around that. That feels right. Just right around the 21. Yeah. So he, Trace Jackson Davis was getting every lob it seemed possible from his teammates and making it work. So like you said, it looked bleak going into halftime. Then the Corgi races happened and everyone was happy about the Corgi races. So then halftime or second half started and something changed. Purdue decided to score the ball by protecting the ball and to get the ball to Zach Eady. It was pretty effective considering Zach Eady finished the game with 33 points yeah. and 18 rebounds. I mean, that's a pretty good day. Yeah, that's that's a great day. And as you said, I mean, he, he had a few minutes there in the first half where he was saddled with foul trouble. Um, right. And so he was kind of coming in and going – a little more than you would have expected during a normal game, but mm-hmm. uh, it it just it's tough to to see a performance like that from him and ultimately not have it come out in a victory. Um, right. One one other thing we we didn't mention about the first half: Ethan Morton got two fouls uh, within about yes. four and a half minutes of the game, and so mm-hmm. that that sent him to the bench for a little while. Uh, he only ended up playing twenty one minutes uh, in the entire game, so. Losing him defensively was definitely a blow uh, because Purdue was, I believe, down 13-10 to 10 when he got his second foul. And then, as you said, you know, IU had gone. That was the beginning of IU's 10-0 run to really uh, take command of the game. Uh, so right. just a lot of things really did go wrong for Purdue in that first half. Yeah, I think, so at that point, that's when Brandon Newman started coming in. And I think Brandon Newman held his own pretty pretty well. It's just Brandon Newman, it's when you start having to switch everybody and do the rotation that he can get lost. Yeah. If he's an on-ball defender, he can defend pretty well. He's got the lateral quickness to keep up with anyone. You yeah, saw he's, that he's got long arms with, too. Yeah, and you saw with Jalen Hood, Shafino, I believe... He ended with 16. I want to say he only had four at halftime. So the the drives from him was not the issue. It was when they started spreading the ball around. And if one person doesn't rotate, that's when you get an open three. Right. And that was what was happening. Yeah. Yeah. So enough so. of the first half. Uh, you know, let's talk about the second half. Purdue coming mm-hmm. out. They're down 15. Uh, but signs of life, you know, they play much better on both ends of the court. Um, you know, as I said, they allowed mm-hmm. 50 points in the first half. The entire second half, 29 points. Um, yeah. So, I mean, just just imagine that kind of effort uh, in the first half, what this game could have been. But who or what exactly stood out to you in the second half that was different um, on either side of the ball, offense or defense? Well, I think what you saw on the defensive side of the ball was they stopped double teaming. They played straight up defense and told the bigs to come at Zach. He had two fouls at that point. He picked up his third on another offensive foul. That was probably one of the worst calls of the day, but um, they started daring them to come at Zach. And Zach wasn't budging. He was not allowing those inside shots to fall to fall. 
And Trace Jackson Davis had to get crafty if he tried to score in deep. Um, every one of his points came in the paint. Yep. But if he tried to go at Zach Eady, he was not getting close. He had to go around Zach Eady to get close. And you it's so much more difficult when you have to actually go around someone than going straight over someone who's small. Right, right. So Trace Jackson Davis... He ended with 25, so if you if he, if I was correct with 18 at halftime, he's only scoring seven in the second half. That's a win. Yeah. Well, and you so, look at the you look at the game uh, Jackson Davis had offensively, and if you just look mm-hmm. at the box score, you're like, oh, he had a great game: 25, seven rebounds, one assist, one steal, uh, five blocks. But mm-hmm. you dig deeper into the box score, he was nine for 19 from the field. Nine right. of 19. Compare that to Zach Eady, who conveniently also took 19 shots. Eady was 15 of 19. He yeah. grabbed 18 rebounds, two assists, three blocks. Um, mm-hmm. So I understand Trace Jackson Davis is very good, uh, but I'll take the guy who can score 33 on 19 shots versus the guy who scores 25 off 19 shots. Yeah, and Eady took five less free throws too. Right, right. So... Right. so there, there's a couple points I want to make before we... I mean, we could talk about this game all day. Um, mm-hmm. I was I was very disappointed in uh, the fact that Mason Gillis, you know, committed a foul. And it was a... It was a I mean, it wasn't a necessarily dirty foul or a hard, hard enough foul. Um, but hard then, but clean. Yeah. And as he is coming back to the hoop, Trace Jackson Davis literally pushes him and... Mason Gillis's face is like, does this guy really think he's going to do this to me? Uh, but oh, I would take Mason Gillis in that fight ten. Oh, times absolutely. I I take Mason Gillis in a fight against anyone on either of these yeah. teams personally, uh, unless maybe Edie. Yeah, take just... the guy with the barbed wire tattoo. Yeah, the only one I would maybe take Edie in a fight just for the reach. Uh, but if Gillis <laughs> right. can get inside, I think it's over. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I mean, refs didn't really seem to do anything. No technical. No. No nothing. Uh, and overall, I'm not. I, I, the refs did not cost Purdue this game. I want to make that clear. Uh, Purdue's first half right. performance did. But then, you know, Painter said in the postgame there were at least three occasions where things were thrown onto the, onto the floor and into their huddle, once including apparently a donut with rainbow sprinkles. Uh, apparently it was a bagel. Well, I've heard both. It was a rainbow bagel. Yeah, I've heard both as well. But. So I, I don't so know. I took a picture of it. Oh, who did? Yeah, so some one of the fans actually like had a baggie and it was in there and they took a picture of the bag. Okay, so it so it was a bagel. It was a rainbow bagel. It looked like I mean, yeah, it it was some sort of bread based product. Either way, I have I have <laughs> yeah. a couple of complaints. One, they're clearly not selling that at Assembly Hall, so that person snuck that in. Uh, and two, if it's a donut, you eat the donut. Like, what are we doing here? Uh. And even even third, if it is a rainbow bagel, I hope you've got some nice cream cheese uh, to go with that. And rainbow cream cheese. I mean, yeah, maybe maybe a birthday cake flavored cream cheese goes well with the with the uh, you know rainbow bagel. That's what I had the last time I was in New York—a rainbow bagel with um, birthday cake cream cheese. And yeah. and you know, like show some class. Don't be throwing shit onto the floor. And I know. You would be absolutely amazed at the IU fans who came into our mentions and said that Purdue fans yelling IU sucks is the same as throwing things onto the floor during a sporting event. And I cannot imagine someone's brain being broken that badly by sports to not realize that there is a Grand Canyon-sized gap between those two things. Yeah. I And and it wasn't just one person. There were multiple people. Oh. And I'm just, mm-hmm. it's just like, what are we doing here? Like, if we can't take a step back and say, don't throw shit on the floor during a sporting event, what are mm-hmm. we doing? Yeah. I, that I just, seems like one of those where there should not be a warning. It should automatically be a tech. And I say that, in every single arena in the country, if you throw, if this is a Purdue game, you throw something at the bench, you get a technical. Yeah. There should be no warning. Absolutely, should not have to be given. And you should not have to taunt the 
student section with a technical to not get them to throw things on the floor. Yeah. It's yeah. just asinine. And I, I will um I will give Trace Jackson Davis credit uh because they showed him yeah. on on the broadcast, which you can't really tell what's going on just because of the angle. Uh but it appeared mm-hmm. that someone had thrown something onto the floor. Um I believe there was a stoppage of play and they showed Trace Jackson Davis and he said something along the lines of, hey, don't do that shit. Or, you know, mm-hmm. like telling people to cut it out. And kudos to him for going after his own fans uh, because it's what Bobby Knight used to have to do when he would take the microphone and tell them, mm-hmm. tell the unruly uh, IU fans to kind of get their shit in, in order, man. Because this has been a problem at IU for decades. Um, yeah. they They chant... Uh, racist things. They've done that at a Duke player. Um, they single out players. Remember they chanted F.U. Harms uh, a few years back. Mm-hmm. And it, it has just consistently been a problem for IU fans. And it, it is just astounding that they continuously find themselves in this situation. Um, and nothing really seems to change. Yeah. It, it's just, you. there's no place for it in any sort of sports. There's really not. And then the people who defend it is just almost as bad. Yeah, yeah. So. Huh. Okay, so I'm glad I got that off my chest. Um, yep. So, you know, in the second half, Purdue found a way to, to catch up. You know, they got themselves back in the game. Uh, you know, right. thanks to thanks to some really good three-point shooting, uh, David Jenkins Jr. hit mm-hmm. two of three. Uh, Brandon Newman hit one there. Mason Gillis hit one. And suddenly the 15-point lead was you know, very quickly down into single digits, got down to four and five a couple times, but Purdue just couldn't get over the hump, couldn't get over the hump. Um, And then with just a few minutes left, did the lead get all the way down to two? It was was one. It It was 71 to 70. Okay. And then Purdue had some turnover problems. And, you know, unfortunately, Braden Smith had one of his toughest games, and he made Mm -hmm. a turnover at the absolute worst time. Uh, driving underneath the basket, he could have taken the shot. It would have been a very tough shot. I want that to be clear. Yeah. Um, but again, and it's Davis it, was right there too. Yeah, it, and he'd been and and Braden Smith had had a couple shots blocked uh, throughout this game. Mm-hmm. But it goes back to what I said earlier. You're not going to get the great shot every single time. You sometimes have to take the shot that is there. And it would have been a tough shot. He he, chances are he misses it. But right. instead what he did, he jumped up in the air, uh, left his feet, and fa- I believe he was looking for Gillis in the corner and yeah. just got intercepted by IU. Purdue was either down one or down two at that point. And mm-hmm. at that point, IU went down and they scored, and then the game was essentially over. Mm-hmm. And it is really unfortunate that Braden Smith found himself in that spot because he's played so brilliantly for Purdue all year. And... To go into this environment, it, it's understandable that that you would have a have a a tough game. And as I said, one for eight from the floor, only one turnover, but it was it was at such a crucial time. And it's it's one of those things. It's going to be a really good learning experience for him going forward. And it's it's just tough to see because the team had had dug themselves such a big hole in the first half, but found a way to climb out in the second and just could not get there. Um, it was tough. It was tough to see that happen. Yeah. What was it? Braden Smith who threw the ball at J- uh, David Jenkins' legs, or was that um, was that Newman? I think that, that must led have... to the, like the Hood Shafino almost injury. I that was weird. Uh, let's let's talk about that in a second. Uh, I believe that was Newman because Smith was only credited okay. with one turnover. And uh, okay, but I, I I I thought he had more than that, but that's what the box score says. So. Yeah, it it seemed like he did, but like you said, that the one was absolutely crucial. He got his he got caught with his hand in the cookie jar and he jumped. You can't you got to play on the court, and as a freshman, he's gonna learn that. So, I mean, I I know we're gonna talk about the post game question about it too. Yeah. Yep. So, um, he'll learn. Yeah. I mean. You're kind of caught between a rock and a hard place at that point. So yeah, what do you do? Yeah, but like yeah, I mean, once you once also, you once you leave your feet, you're committed to something. Uh, you know, you yeah. you gotta hope the guy who you saw was still open, or you gotta like you gotta make a 
split-second decision of, I'm going to throw up a circus shot, I'm going to try to throw it off my guy to get it out of bounds. Uh, I've only got a limited amount of time here. Yeah, and I guess props to Race Thompson for keeping his head on a swivel and snagging the ball. Yeah. Otherwise, it would have just bounced off him and gone out of bounds. Right. So, so it's just it's a tough play, and what are you going to do? Yeah. You know? So with, with the hood Shafino injury that wasn't really an injury – did yeah. it look like he maybe was like trying to go for a dunk and then the it, it might have been Morton or who was down there? Um, it was Morton and yeah. like, kind of like spooked did him a touch little. Him, by the way, did not. Although Dick Vitale would have you think otherwise. Um, oh, that's another name. But uh, and then um, he he landed funny and then like it really felt like he was more embarrassed than anything. Like I'm not really sure. Yeah, so it looked like he expected contact from Ethan Morton, who did not touch him. Like, he was trying to jump into Ethan Morton, almost. And he never got touched, so at that point, you're like, panic mode. Okay, I have to get a shot off, miss the easy layup, and it seemed like he just hyperextended the knee when he came down. Yeah, but yeah, that might have been obviously, it. he stayed in the game. He made some very clutch point or shots so yeah, i mean especially the one at the very just, end yeah good on him but yeah it was just it was an awkward play just, yeah yeah so can we please I, petition to never have dick vitale i i was gonna say i announced. i read the i read the the postgame rap tell me uh your feelings about dick vitale oh uh, they are not good feelings i it just he sound he sounds like if you find the crazy old man at the park and he's just, <laughs> Ooh, there's a cloud. <laughs> like sounds like he's either he's on something like he took one too many volume. I uh, just, I cannot stand listening to him and it's, it's an instant mute. So there are three people that it was ever like that for me. It was him, Bill Walton and Dan Dockage. Oh, Bill Walton is, instant mute. he's bizarre. He is bizarre. Yeah, he, like, there's no two ways about it. He's on some sort of acid. Yeah, like, he's on some sort of trip. He's, he's just um, always like, oh, my goodness, what a game. And you're like, what What are you watching? What are you watching, Bill? Eats a cupcake with the wrapper still on. Yeah, that was weird, too. I, like, it's, oh. it's, sometimes I wonder if Bill Walton is trying to get fired. And he's just like, I wonder, I wonder what they'll let me do. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's like. He's one of those where you have to have someone on standby to actually hit mute on the hot mic with right. Bill Walton. You don't need that with Dick Vitale, but you just need to like channel down about four notches on his mic while yeah. the other announcer's fine. Yeah. It's like, why couldn't he just get the Duke-UNC game? That's where he wanted to be anyway, I'm sure. Because, you know, his, his buddy it. Robert Montgomery Knight wasn't at the Purdue-IU game. But yeah, man, I, I don't know. All around, all around, just not a fun viewing experience for Purdue fans. So, um, last call on this IU game before we do not talk about it again. Right. Um, so yeah, it was. Oh not wait, good, well, there, there was there was one thing. Yeah, there was one more thing. Yeah, we yeah. wanted to talk about the post game. So post game, uh, post game press conference. You you saw, um, Braden Smith, um. Zach Eady and um, David Jenkins Jr. Were, were the players that were representing Purdue. And a reporter, no shade to the reporter, doing exactly what the reporter is supposed to do, um, was yep. asking about the Braden Smith turnover at the end of the game. And mm -hmm. Braden Smith, you know, it's, I'm sure, a tough question. And mm -hmm. he answered it as best he could, said, you know, I thought I saw somebody, I left my feet, kudos to them for, you know, being in place, well, whatever he said. Um and then in the video, you just see Zach Eady's super long arm go up, grab the microphone, because <laughs> yeah. apparently IU can only afford one for three players, um, mm. and and just say something along the lines of, uh, you know, this is, everybody's going to point to that play as an important play, but every play is important. Not mm -hmm. no, There's no one play that lost us this game. Every single play is important, and we win as a team, we lose as um, And I just, I love it. It was absolutely the right thing to do as your leader, as mm -hmm. your captain, as everything you want him to be. It was beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, Zach Eady just had a 33-18 and three-block game. He did not need to say that. But he took the mic, took blame on himself for the turnovers, which 
You know, he did have, yep. but he completely deflected the blame off of Braden Smith and onto himself. That is just true leadership. Yeah. You saw David Jenkins' eyes when he took the mic. Like, oh my God, what is he about to say? <laughs> because you didn't know what sort of clapback Zach Eady was about to do to that reporter. Right. And uh, he just, it was the perfect answer. This, the leadership of Zach Eady, he is the unquestioned leader on this team. He is by far the best player. He was the best player on the court. He's the best player in the country. What what more can you ask for out of Zachy? I mean, it was it was just the perfect situation for him to do that, and he really showed what he was made of, and that is, oh, he's made of whatever he's made of. It's a lot of it, and it's a lot of good. Yeah, uh, um, that to me, I mean, obviously we're we're disheartened about the loss. As I said, I always hate right. losing to IU, uh, but seeing them do that after the game at the post game press conference really filled me with hope for how this team is going to respond to a loss. That's that's a tough loss. Um, you know, I, I think it's you're going to see them respond, but we'll carry this conversation over into the second half of the pod. We're going to take a look at where Purdue goes from here and kind of where the Big Ten stands as of now. We'll be right back. And we are back. So, as promised, we're going to take a look at where Purdue goes from here sitting at 22-2, and two, uh, currently first in the rankings. So that's my first question, Ryan. Uh, do we think come Monday at noon, Purdue will still be number one? I think so. Um, it seems like it's either going to be splitting votes with Alabama or Houston again. Yeah. But you lost on a home or on the home court of a ranked team. Who is your rival? It was, yeah, their rival, and it's, it's their Super Bowl. Let's be honest here. Yeah, and it's only so, a five-point loss, too. Exactly. So I think they could be number one. I think absolutely one or two is what they'll be uh, come tomorrow. Though. Yeah, yeah. So there we go. Um, and I, we took a look at the Big Ten standings. The Northwestern-Wisconsin game just finished as we were uh, mm. in the break. Northwestern won again. Uh, so they're sitting at 7-5, and five, and the Big Ten standings – are an absolute cluster. Uh, Purdue <laughs> up top at 11-2, and two, Rutgers 7-4, and four, and then we've got Illinois, IU, Maryland, Northwestern, Iowa, and Michigan all at 7-5. and five. So six teams at 7-5. and five. Uh, And then Michigan State at 6-5, and five. Penn State, Wisconsin, Nebraska, Ohio State, and lowly Minnesota, 1-11 and 11 in conference. So Purdue still has a two-and-a-half uh, game lead in the conference. And coming up next for Purdue is a home game against Iowa uh, on Thursday the 9th. So obviously we're, we're elated to, to be in, in alone in first place, two-and-a-half game lead. We have got three road games left, and we've got four home games left. Um, what are you expecting? What do you think is going to be the toughest game going forward? Toughest, toughest of the seven remaining games. Of those seven, I think the two, uh, Indiana at home is going to be tough. Obviously, they just beat us. They're one of two teams this year to beat us. But it's in Mackey. So that should, and I say should here, be a better environment for Purdue. Right. The other game that sort of gives me... A little bit of worry now is actually the Illinois game. Really? Okay. And Illinois has come on strong lately. They've been playing some good ball. But um, I, I don't know what way that Purdue will take this Indiana loss. If it's anything like their last loss to Rutgers, they're going to win, you know, eight, nine straight games. So we'll be fine. But depending on this loss, how they take it, um, We'll see where they're at at the end of the schedule against Illinois. Like I said, they've been playing well, so things could change by then. But I think Illinois was selected highly at the beginning of the season for a reason, and they're starting to finally show that. Yeah, I think you know, for me, the two that uh, the two that worry me the most are, of course, the IU game at home. But the other one to me is on the road at Maryland. Um, you yeah. know, Maryland. They're 
not really meeting the expectations a lot of people had for him um, at this point. But they just kind of like you talked about Illinois, they are putting it together a little more right now. They are one of the teams that's seven and five in the conference, and they have done great at home. They are twelve and one at home. Um, Haven't lost in conference. Right, right. So it, it's going to be a tough game. I hope to be in attendance uh, at that one, as it is just not far down the road from me. Uh, so maybe mm-hmm. I'll be a good luck charm since we beat Penn State <laughs> when I was there. Uh, but it, it, it the schedule looks favorable for Purdue. The remaining Mm -hmm. seven games, simply because we do have four at home versus three on the road. With Maryland, at least we have already beaten Maryland. Uh, We beat Mm -hmm. them in Mackey. Uh, Northwestern, we have not yet played. Uh, Northwestern is playing their best basketball, you know, in years. Uh, So that one (laughs) might be a little tricky. It's tough to say, but Northwestern, not exactly an intimidating environment. So uh, you you would much rather, if you're going to have to play a team on the road, uh, going into Northwestern, not as scary as one would uh, one would expect for other ones. So I just want to point out one other thing about the schedule. If you if you go to ESPN and look at the schedule, they give you a a you know tickets cost as low as whatever. And it I'm really, looking at it right now. Yep. Okay, the tickets for the <laughs> IU game, tickets as low as seven hundred and three dollars. Yeah, who is paying seven? Who is paying $703 for a Purdue IU ticket? Some people with some serious brass in their pocket. I guess. I mean, maybe Mark Cuban wants to go. The, and, I'm, and I just, because I had to, I followed the link. Uh, it's in section 117, so you're at an angle, uh, row mm-hmm. 19. So, you know, you're you're up there. But again, not a bad seat in Mackey. It's no assembly hall. Um, but man, the tickets go all the way up. <laughs> Somebody has their tickets listed for eleven hundred and fifteen dollars. Nice. Is that through Vivid Seats? This is through Vivid Seats. Yeah. Okay. But yeah. Man, I mean, I don't think those are going to sell. <laughs> um, no, most likely not. No. So, I mean, do we still do we still think Purdue's in the driver's seat for the Big Ten title? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you have a two and a half game lead over Rutgers right now. You play four games at home. If you take every home game and split your road games, you win the big time. Not not just tie, you actually win outright. Right. So you do that, but what are what are the chances that Rutgers and all these teams actually win out? You know, they're gonna start feeding on each other. You know, some teams are gonna go down. You keep winning the games you're supposed to win and you'll be fine if you're Purdue. I think they truly are in the driver's seat. We just had the toughest game of the conference season yesterday so i i truly don't think there's going to be any test harder than that indiana game and they lost by five and they showed absolute grit coming back and getting to within five so i think they'll be able to take this and run with it and get uh get title 25 and then set yourself up for the postseason yeah yeah i mean i think you're right and I have not gone through and compared every team who is behind Purdue to compare their schedule. Um, but obviously, you know, those teams that are behind Purdue, that cluster, uh, not only Rutgers, but the six teams that are below them, you know, they will play one another. So there will be guaranteed losses in that grouping. Um, so it's right. not as if it's not as if even every team there, you know, can run the table. It's just not possible. Um yeah. So th- there will be losses. So even if Purdue slips up uh, as the season you know finishes out with a two and a half game lead and seven games to go, four games at home, uh, Purdue is in a great position. So yes, we're angry about losing to IU. Yes, we're frustrated, but things are not as bad as they might might seem um, after that game. And I I hope it has been a learning experience for the team. Um, because, you know, especially the guys who are new to the program, they they had only ever lost once in a Purdue uniform, and maybe it just, they thought it was just that easy. Um, and now they kind of got taught a lesson. And it's funny because um, my, my, my wife's grandma uh, loves college basketball, loves college basketball. And she's gotten into the habit of calling uh, either my wife or myself when there's a big Purdue game to just kind of be like, Hey, what do you think's going to happen? How do you think they're going to do? Um, 
her her thing is she loves like I said she loves college basketball, but she loves both Purdue and IU. So you're okay. like, okay, I'll you know I I always give her a little crap for that, but you know, uh, she, she, at her age she's earned a little. You know, I'll I'll give her the pass. <laughs> Uh, she right. she said the other day before the game, uh, she's like, "Do you think Purdue needs to lose one just to kind of you know? You think it'd be good for them to lose one?" And I was like, "No." I was like, "No, I don't." Um, <laughs> I would you know I want to win them all, um, but now right. that they've lost one, maybe maybe my grandmother in law was right. Maybe this is what they needed. Uh, <laughs> maybe this will will focus them up and they'll go seven and zero down the stretch, uh, finish eighteen and two in the conference. So who knows? Um, do you subscribe to that theory that maybe losing one is good? Yes, to an extent. Obviously, you know, losing losing can help. You can find positives through losing. And here's the thing: we're talking about this. They're still twenty-two and two, right? And they still may be the number one team in the country come Monday next week. Like they're going to be favored in every single game they play for the rest of the season. Um, through Big Ten season, they are going to have four home games where they play a team that, you know, they can they can beat. Every single game is winnable, and, the, you know, it's, it's theirs for the taking. If the freshmen don't know now what a road environment can be like, then they will never find out. If you can't figure that out from Assembly Hall in a Purdue IU um, rivalry, you won't get any better environments than that. Right, right. So they know what it's like, and Purdue has a tendency in their losses. Now, given there's only two, but two is a trend, um, they start slow and they can't recover. I think that is the most important thing to learn, is you have to be focused for 40 minutes of basketball. Otherwise, these teams can sneak up and they can bite you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So we, we hope we can we can find a way to learn from it. Uh, the team can move mm-hmm. forward and have, you know, a really, really good home stretch, seven games remaining. So there we go, folks. That's the recap. Uh, we tried to get some positivity in here um, after the, the upsetting losses to IU. So we hope we made you smile. We hope we made you laugh. And we'll get back with you middle of the week as we look ahead to Purdue's upcoming game against Iowa. Thanks for joining us. Boiler up, folks. Hammer down.